Welcome to Orion Valley. Hello, film addicts. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Before we continue, I just want to give a little disclaimer. I have lost my voice for this recording, so please just bear with it through the rest of the episode. Well, welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. Killian Gummo has returned to the show after a very long hiatus to delve into a franchise that we both really, really love with possibly its best entry. That's right. We're talking about 2012's Skyfall. Skyfall. I've been thinking about Skyfall a lot recently. Sure. I've been thinking about Bond a lot. It's, you know, at the time of this recording, they had just announced the new title for the next Daniel Craig Bond movie, which is the last one of his, No Time to Die. No Time to Die. And I, I feel like the Bond movies have always been somewhat of an event. Yeah. You know? And, like, for me especially, because, like, I grew up with Bond. Sure. And Bond has, like, always been in my life. And Absolutely. Since I was, like, young, I remember my, my brother watching. Uh, we had VHSs of Goldfinger, Octopussy, and Man with the Golden Gun. And he watched all of those. And that was, like, kind of the first time I remember I learned what violence was. Because mm-hmm. it was the reason why I couldn't watch those movies. And, but... But they were always movies because, like you know, as a kid, you know what the movies that you can't watch, you want to watch. And it was 100%. only, oh yeah, it was only like a year or two later before I watched all three of those, and then just got like completely addicted to oh, Bond. Yeah. Um, and I remember when, um, seeing Pierce Brosnan like those movies, like the last like three that he did. I remember that when those came out, yeah, and seeing those like take over, like because that was kind of the tail end of the the Hollywood video um, blockbuster era. So I would always see posters for them, like come into video, you know, it was like at that point it was like die another day. And um, like diamonds are forever. I think Well, right? diamonds are forever is a, is, is, um, is, is, is Connery. Oh, but is like, really? Yeah. So Pierce Brosnan does um, die another day. The ones that I remember vividly remember for some reason coming out were die, tomorrow never dies. die another day and tomorrow never dies. Okay. The world was not enough was before, before that. And right. golden eye was the first one, but I remember those two. And then there's this long break and then we get casino Royale. Mm-hmm. But I like always remember bond being like, you know, he was the guy, you know, he, you know, this international spy, the epitome of cool. And, um, but a franchise that, everyone knew like bond to me was like one of the biggest franchises ever. I mean, it is, but like when I was a kid, it was so like known and so big. And it was like kind of the first time, one of the early times I remember being a part of like this kind of film community or so, because I had, I knew about this franchise, you know, and, and he like, uh, and casino Royale comes out. And that was the first time I remember watching like, like I didn't see it in theaters. I remember my stepdad and brother went to see that in theaters and my mom wouldn't let me. So we went to go see happy feet. Um, but bond has always come back in my life. I mean, I think that's kind of the thing with the franchise in general is we take these long breaks between entries, but it's always there and it always comes back. I mean, 
and it's still special. They feel like like events. Yeah. So like, what is your connection to Bond? Uh, My connection to Bond personally, uh, just being that my favorite genre is the spy thriller. That's a fantastic subgenre. Like it it, has been for such a long time and uh, I've kind of seen every corner of it come (laughs) and go and change. You want to talk about franchises that have changed. You could talk about something like mission impossible Mm -hmm. or maybe a little more can't be traditional, like the man from uncle Mm. or like maybe another guy, Richie movie, you know, cause he, and I know he's making one next year about like the English secret service, the, or the gentleman, the gentleman. Yeah. Yes. Um, but of the spy thrillers and the spy films that I've seen, obviously after 24 films, the ones, the ones that I've seen grow and change the most are the James Bond films. And I think beyond the point that everybody's always got like one favorite James Bond actor, be it Connery or more, or even George Lazenby. Um, I think that what brings people back to Bond so much is just like, yes, the sophistication, the style, the, you know, the new taste of every director's. Um, but I think just like that overarching desire to just have fun yeah. and to just watch like a cool spy movie and I think what helps Skyfall so much and we'll get into this a little later is that not only is it a complete subversion and resurrection of a genre that we all love so much to the highest degree it's just it's also a ton of fun it's a blast to watch I I definitely uh, couldn't agree more of like how like I, I love the spy genre like the world of espionage is it, espionage is not at all something that in a real life practical sense interests me. Like I have no interest in like, like I never wanted to be in the CIA it's or I never want work. Yeah. And like, but the, those movies are just so immersive and it's this world of like, you know, I was always intrigued by mystery and detectives and, you know, cause like, they are like, especially with Bond, the mystery, he's an agent, but he's also kind of a detective in some ways. And that was something that really draw, drew me into it too, because like some of my personal favorites as a kid, um, which I think is kind of like, now that I think about it, was a big point where it was my turn towards more um, in-depth, like thinking about film, sounds very pretentious, but like it was more than just fighting and it was more than just like the action stuff Absolutely. when I watched um, Man with a Golden Gun uh, because I was so into the mystery of it. there's a really good mystery in that movie um, and you know they introduced like you know just Christopher like just Christopher Lee in that movie is just so good Absolutely. and the way that they do they set up like clues and like take bond on that journey was something that I was like, wow, this is actually, there's a lot going on in this movie. Um, and I've just always been intrigued by stuff like that. And bond is such a specific franchise in that it's not really like anything else. I mean, it's had its ups and downs, which we'll talk about in a second. I mean, we can go into like how we'll, we'll talk about how they rank depending on actor, but like, I always feel like for some reason, especially now in the past, like, you know, the time that we've been alive, we've had two people who have played Bond. We've had Pierce Brosnan and we've had Daniel Daniel Craig. Craig. Yeah. And the thing is, is Bond seems to be like a consistent franchise in that, not necessarily in terms of quality of movies, but in that we never hear that like they're rebooting Bond it's like the next stage of bond. Like bond has never, it like in my mind, it always seems like bond has never stopped. Right. Bond has continued and is going to like, we're never going to be like, 
you can't really pinpoint but like this is the end point of bond and, and then they decided to like reboot this, it yeah like the cinematic rite of passage i, I couldn't agree more mm-hmm. especially with like i mean you watched i mean the last one that was the last one that pierce Brosnan did die another day or was it tomorrow never dies i think it was no it was die another day Yes, I think it was Die Another Day, which in my my personal opinion may be my least favorite Bond movie. I hate Die Another Day, Mm -hmm. probably to an unfair extent. I just can't stand that movie. No, I get it. But the thing with that movie is it doesn't really make a big definitive like period. It's not like done end point, like as if it was like the last Bond movie. And then this other than then Warner Brothers was like, no, we're going to reboot it. Like we're going to do it again. There was always a plan to keep it moving because it was the the tradition set up that there were going to be new actors who played it and there's not like and there's not many franchises that can do that because i mean we have franchise i mean think with the marvel universe is like you know it's it's a it's a universe so it's like continuing um but then you have things like you know you know how many actors played batman they're rebooting it now there's gonna be another one coming out and then uh but that's legitimately reboots because there's been so many times where it's like this is the end point you know like Batman and Robin, like that's somewhat of an endpoint. Um, Batman, the there's the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, that's an endpoint. Over. Um, the completely over. And then, you know, not necessarily, but like something with like Justice League. Now we know that that's done. Like Batman, that that era of Batman is Bat done. Is mm, exactly. Done but and also, what's really interesting is that I feel like Bond is the only franchise. It's the, if, in my opinion, it feels like one of the most contained. Like, sure. and I, I, I will sing the praises of Mission Impossible until I die. Like, as like, in seemingly like one of the most contained uh, uh, series or like um, franchises. But like Bond seems it's like one of those things where they're not rebooting it. It's like they're continuing, but they change actor. But they have in movie references to earlier points in. like in the universe or like but it's just within their franchise and it doesn't seem like you know campy or it doesn't seem like just grabby like it actually kind of makes sense but they can very authentic but they can also do like it they they can do that and make it work like it's not like they're just doing it to be like like the fact like in you know jumping way ahead like the fact that at the end of skyfall we they reveal that naomi harris's character is eve Moneypenny, right. who was a big presence in the connery films um like they can like they can do that like it's but it's not a reboot like it like they're they're doing it within their own universe and like change like the continuity necessarily doesn't fully need to match up obviously because there's eight different people playing james bond you of know course. um but that adds to this kind of, you know, there's still this big world and the a world that we don't really get to see that often, you know, like, I mean, how many, you know, how many times are you able to like get a glimpse into this kind of world of, you know, British secret service? Like it, it just, it doesn't really happen. Of course. And I think again, just what's so incredibly special about this franchise is that it's unlike any other franchise. It's unique in that, yes, we've had eight different actors play James Bond, but like they feel almost like every movie from Dr. No all the way to Spectre feels complementary to one another. Yeah. And just like, one, you know, whether it's the intertextuality of various characters like Eve Moneypenny. That's a better way to put it than what I, what I said. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Um, or it's like maybe like, a, like an over, like, a, you know, like um, 
not overused, but like a reused villain, uh-huh, reused. Um, such as like, um, well, like Blofeld and like yeah, how Christoph Waltz or like, like the is, organization of yeah. Spectre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I think having those nuggets in there, be them big, small, or otherwise, are both for fans of the older films, kind of the more Renaissance Bond enjoyers to go, hey, I remember that from this. Like, you know, it's good to see they're paying great homage. And it's also great introduction. I mean, granted, Skyfall does it like so, it just fuses everything together so well. You and I have talked for ages already about this. Yeah. But um, I just feel that uh, all of these films, most importantly, Skyfall, are such fitting homages to one another all at the same time. And yeah, I definitely think that's what makes this franchise so special and definitely helps it stand out amongst like the climate of spy franchises nowadays. Who's the best bond? Okay. <laughs> I had a lot of conversations with my grandfather. I've gone about back this. and forth. Like if you, like you could track it and I my... dreaded this question was coming because there are so many answers that I could give where in my head I could go, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, in my opinion, the best James Bond, for me, personally, speaking as objectively as, as I can, which isn't very objectively, is Sean Connery. Mm. I, the, the, You know, he's just like, he's the guy. Daniel Craig is phenomenal with what he does and, you know, how he embodies the character. <laughs> and he is most certainly Bond for new generation. He's Bond for our generation, unless you want to, you know, identify with Pierce Brosnan, which that's, you know, cool too. But the thing about Connery is that he is like the jumping off point for the yeah. character. He is like mm-hmm. the patriarch of bond and, yeah. you know, instantly, whether, you know, you're 16 or you're 76, whenever you think of James Bond at some point within the first five seconds of your train of thought, if you're familiar with these movies, you think of Sean Connery, you think of shaker, not star, <laughs> you think of, you just think of like all these iconic mannerisms and moments and villains and, this just I mean there are so many great reasons I defend like George Lazenby and he was only in one movie for crying out loud but I I, for me definitely it has to be Sean Connery without question I've gone uh, like my answers changed throughout the years absolutely Um, like for like now I say Daniel Craig Mm -hmm. like in my mind he's just like especially after this most recent rewatch of Skyfall because of what he's done with the character and because of how the boundaries have been pushed. And that's also like accredited to the fantastic, you know, direction of Sam Mendes and the writers and like, but there's, there's something about him that is so appealing as bond and that he feels like a human being and not that like, you know, past bonds haven't the, when I first saw bond, when I, the first one I saw was Goldfinger. Um, and, Sean Connery is obviously amazing as Bond. It's an iconic performance. Um, but the, it's definitely belongs in the sixties. You know, you could, you could tell, especially like all of his, you know, like, like Goldfinger from Russia with love and Thunderball. Like you can't see anyone else doing those movies mm-hmm. besides Connery. Like those are very specific. They're very much in between. Like Connery is very good. Like if, if you like kind of lay it out, he seems to be the perfect middle ground between someone like Roger Moore, who was camp, just complete camp. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, the kind of odd Austin powers era of bond. Oh yeah. To, um, Pierce Brosnan, who was the picture, perfect, handsome, like gentleman British spy. gentleman, British guy spy and recognizable. Um, 
now obviously he was the first he was the first guy but he has like that equal amounts of like you know he does campy things he's not necessarily the big um athletic body build type guy that like daniel craig or even brosnan were but he is very suave and has a he has a presence you know and is consistently probably has um he did like eight bond movies i think yes i would say he has about half like i think i don't think i haven't seen all of i've seen most of the bond movies i haven't seen all of them but like he has i think the most that i like Mm -hmm. i think like it's only a slight degree above brosnan and craig but like but I mean, he's like, yeah, you can, you're you're definitely right. You can't think of Bond without thinking of Connery. Like, you, mm-hmm. it's impossible because he just defined that character. Um, more, um, I have a soft spot for it because I grew up with him. Like, I grew up with Octopus, Octopus yeah. and Man with a Golden Gun. I will stand by Man with a Golden Gun. I think that is Roger Moore's best bond in my opinion i think that movie is just is honestly i can't say i disagree i i I think i'm there's a there's a lot of really good stuff in that movie um but stuff like but like octopussy and a view to a kill a view to a kill is terrible like a view to a kill is an awful movie and that may be one of the bonds i've seen the most that movie is always on tv do you know how many times i've seen that movie just because it was on tv because it's running on tv it's so those damn syndication yeah exactly and it's so just like like he perfect picture of the eighties. It's a Bond movie with Roger Moore. Christopher Christopher Walken is the villain. Duran Duran is doing the, doing the, the song. Theme song. Yeah, it's absurd. Um, and he dies because they're doing like they're building. What are they doing? They're getting like gold from a mine underneath like San Francisco or something like that. Yes, and they then are. a fucking blimp blows up. It's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, um, but you know, that's, that's a whole other era of bond. And that's the stereotype that bond kind of got fell into because of, because of more, I haven't seen Lesenby or Timothy Dalton. I've heard both of them have entries that kind of change the character. George Lesenby is in, um, on her majesty's, on Secret her majesty's Service. secret service and bond gets married and his wife is murdered at the end of that movie. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Like oh, yeah. that's brilliant. And then, uh, Timothy Dalton comes in with license to kill and that's how Bond gets his license to kill revoked. Like you have inklings of the character being pushed forward and obviously it comes to the actor and Brosnan comes in, does a great movie, Goldeneye, does a good movie, Tomorrow Never Dies and then I haven't seen World of Not Enough and um, I hate Die Another Day and is there one I'm forgetting about? No, he did four. Four? Yeah. Okay. So you're good. Yeah, I haven't seen... No, wait, I have seen World is Done. Yeah, I've seen all four of, of, of the Brosnan ones. And yeah, it's, it's the, he has a presence. I love Pierce Brosnan. Like, he's a great actor. Um, but he wasn't, there wasn't something about him that said, like, like he wasn't like, the, like a, um, a character that I knew. Now, I mean, Bond isn't really someone that you necessarily need to know because he's a secret agent. But, like, that was the one thing that kind of set Craig apart from all the rest is that they pushed him forward to be this guy who, especially in Casino Royale, they push him to be this guy who's like damaged and is kind of affected by the things that he does. Um, I mean, and it's like someone in like Pierce Brosnan is almost like, uh, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan is almost like the Indiana Jones of the, um, yeah. is very much like Indiana Jones in the bond films, kind of invincible, but is, you know, just 
gets away and like still got like the like the you know the innate qualities of a hero that audiences love and mm-hmm. that we can instantly yeah. attach ourselves to. But Craig took it to such a more deeper emotional place. Um, and that you wouldn't, that you really didn't expect, you know, like people hated the fact that Daniel Craig was going to be bond. Right. Because I mean, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, which I mean is stupid, but like, you know, there's that stigmatism, you know, there's the look, there's the, there's the presence, there's the, you know, he's suave, you know, he's always got the right thing to say. He's always going to get out of situations, you know, but there are times in both Skyfall and Casino Royale, Casino Royale where it seems as though maybe Bond isn't going to make it out. Mm-hmm. You really don't know. And that's the thing where like, that's why I really love Daniel Craig. And I also think that he, um, even in the bad Bond movies, he is like giving a really good performance. Of course. Yeah. Um, I agree. Which leads us into, uh, let's just get into discussion about Skyfall. Um, Casino Royale comes out in 06. Um, you like Casino Royale, right? I love Casino yeah. Royale. Um, I think it's great. And it was a big, it was a big movie for me when I was a kid. And there's a lot of really great things in that movie. Quantum of Solace is Quantum of Solace is not good. No, sir. I don't think that movie's good. Uh, I was in denial about that movie for a very long time. Granted, I saw that movie when I was like, I was like eight or nine, maybe something like that. Right. But like, it, it doesn't really, James it's, Bond, it's a very you know, forgettable you know. movie. It's a very forgettable movie. And, you know, we're in this weird period now. What's what's going to happen next? Like, when is the next Bond, you know? But like, there was already rumors after, you know, Solace of you know, what was going to happen next. We weren't really sure where Bond was going to go. And I mean, you know, Bond movies are, they're not going to be, they're not being made, they're not pumping them out. No. They take their time. Which, I mean, it's kind of a testament to, you know, the, the, like there's care put into that, you know. They don't, not that there isn't care in putting in something that, like, comes out, you know, every year, but, like, they want to take their time. They want to make sure they're, you It's know, no MCU. They're not pumping out, like, 16 a year. Right. Which, granted, that's, you know, that's not a dig at the MCU. I, I mean, they You're are. wearing a Marvel Studios hoodie right uh, yeah. now. You can't say anything. <laughs> no, no, sir. I've been paid by the mouse not to trash Marvel Studios. Um, but, no, I just, I mean, I personally have zero problem waiting for a Bond film, mm-hmm. you know? We've been waiting patiently for No Time to Die. Uh, it's about... Four years and change between Spectre and No Time to Die because Spectre was no. Is no time? Is no time coming out this year or next in, year? Next year. In so April. it'll be five years. Just yeah, just, just about, about five, five years. years. Yeah. Um, and just you know, we, you know, when you've seen as many <laughs> Bond films as we've seen, and when you understand kind of like the intricacies and like what the character innately means to us, you have no problem waiting for a James Bond Mm-mm. film. No way. The I remember reading information about it that Sam Mendes was going to direct it. I hadn't seen anything by Sam Mendes. I just knew of him. Mm-hmm. The guy who did, you know, he did Jarhead and he did American Beauty, which I saw after Skyfall. Um, you know, primarily known for, you know, like theater and then, you know, these kind of brutal dramas. But I, I remember like just hearing about it, like, you know, Daniel Craig will return and like reading about the trivia about it, like who's going to be in it and this, that, and this and that. And I remember Javier Bardem being confirmed. and I did not a, know who the hell Javier Bardem was before I saw this The movie. only reason I knew about him was because my stepdad was a big fan of No Country. No Country, yeah. Um, and he constantly talked about him. And I mean, I hadn't seen No Country at this point, but he constantly talked about him. And he, so I, like, I was keeping up with the news. 
And finally, in early 2012, we get a great trailer for this movie um, called Skyfall. And we don't know what that means. 2012 is a monster year for movies. Absolutely. One of the great movie years of, of this, the 2010s. Of the 10s. It is. We You have in one year, within the span of like six months, you have... The Avengers. Avengers comes out in May. Two and a half months later, Dark Knight Rises comes out. Mm-hmm. And then three months later, uh, Skyfall comes out. To just to name a few, you know, that also year we have Lincoln, we have Argo, we have, you know, Wreck-It Ralph, we have Brave, you know. It's a monster year. And, I mean, do you remember that year fondly? I do. Very, very much so. Um, and I just think that it was kind of where worlds collided for me because for as much as I've always kind of recognized an innate love of film like every you know film junkie has uh, I had never really kind of appreciated the art and the performances and like script like a narrative depth and it was really when um, I saw Argo that year and I saw Skyfall that those two worlds <laughs> kind of like this this looming film junkie that I was going to become. And this guy, this kid who just liked to watch movies, like when I saw these movies, especially Skyfall, given, you know, it's my favorite genre, worlds collided. And mm-hmm. then just it, it, it was absolutely off to the rails for me, man. This was right around the time when I had fully gone over to accepting the fact that I wanted to be a director and mm-hmm. being like, this is the path I want to go down. And I had started to view movies differently. You know, this is 2012 was just, it was my freshman year of high school. There was a lot of new, um, you know, th- there were so many things that were new to me, you know, this whole other world of school. And I, um, you know, was learning a lot more about myself and that was a big thing, the life path that I wanted to choose. And so I had, decided to I have to look at movies differently. I have to, um, I have to think more, not just, I liked it. Why do I like it? What is there that is keeping me? Um, what is there that's keeping me from loving it? Or why do I love it? What is there that is pushing me to that side? And so I had started to think more critically about movies and, you know, Argo was a big one that kind of helped me, um, you know, think about that a lot. And that was kind of the first one where I was like, let me sit down and think about why I loved this movie. Of course. And, and then Skyfall. Um, and Skyfall was really a game changer for me. It was not at all what I was expecting it to be. It was like way better. I, I will say this until the day I die. The two words that I would most use to describe Skyfall are a subversion and a resurrection. Resurrection not meaning necessarily brought back from the dead, more so just revived. This is everything that spy movies have been done to the highest caliber, but more so than that, it was also what spy movies can be. It was what these characters, like James Bond, could be, and that's why I really enjoy the argument about... um, you know, you kind of go back and forth with age as to who the best Bond is. Because when I was a kid and I was watching these older movies and I was like, you know, just gentleman spy getting like just basically swept up in the grandeur of it, like, you know, the theatrics. But as I get older, I realize I want vulnerable protagonists. I want, for as insane as this sounds, English super spies that I can relate to that, you know, that feel pain. And that just it's a testament to Daniel Craig's 
just complete, you know, I'll just, I'll use the word probably a million times by the time this is up. It's a revival. He completely breathes new life into this character in a movie where so much, so much of that is being done already. Um, and it's just, it's, it's truly what I would define as a game changer. I couldn't agree more. And I also think that this is a prime example of when a movie comes out at the perfect time. Oh yeah. If this movie comes out a year earlier or even like a year later or any time after in the 2010s, it doesn't have the same impact. Like it, it doesn't like, I don't think I, not that, that it's not timeless because this, I think this movie is very timeless, but like it came out at just the perfect moment in that we're in this new transitional age for movies, early 2010s, like 2010, 2011, kind of murky years. Like they're very, they're very odd years. Um, and then with the Avengers and the ending of the dark Knight, we're big into this moment of like, where are we going to go now? We're like pushing the boundaries of what superhero cinema mm-hmm, can yeah. be independent cinema. Mm-hmm. And the, know, so the on. MCU is taken off and, then we get more this kind of newer age of indie blockbusters, you know, per se with things like, you know, like Argo or Lincoln. Um, but I mean, those are the big names attached to them, but you know, the next year we get gravity. Um, and it, it was this, (laughs) it like, we're in this air, this time where we're taking so much in and it was such a great movie year that like, I remember when going to the, th- I saw this movie three times in theaters. I remember going and being um, just in awe and like there was still an energy to going to the movies. Not that there necessarily isn't anymore, but it's definitely gone down. And like, sure. I remember going each time and the theater was just packed and like the, not just my theater, the building was like just filled with people um, to see like, just to go because it comes out around Thanksgiving time. So like, you know, it's a great activity to Abs- do. Absolutely. Um, and it's now like, you know, we have three big franchises in one year, like to say the least. And, you know, it's like, it's exciting. It's this time of movies are kind of re- revived. And, you know, we've talked about that, you know, already of just how this movie revived Bond. But like, it really was like kind of one of this big moments where, in this year going to the movies was like there was so much coming out that we needed to see yeah and it really felt like an event each of those movies avengers dark knight rises and this were events like they were big big movie events and they're gonna capture like it's right now it's this bridge between the older generation and the newer generation which is a big theme which we'll talk about because at this point you know people who have been watching you know the the Pierce Brosnan bonds or the early Craig bonds were, you know, we were teenagers now and we were now seeing all of this change happen to the movie industry with these franchises, with with superheroes. And this movie does it where it's actually a kind of a bleak drama with bond and incredible action attached to it. Oh yeah. As uh, a kid who was celebrating 
if I have my math right, who was celebrating his 13th birthday in November of 2012, uh, I didn't really have the access to cinema that I have now, particularly in terms of the MPAA. And so for me to be able, I mean, granted, it was a huge year, like the Hunger, the Hunger Games came out in 2012. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. The, you know, the Avengers, the Dark Knight Rises, like I was spoiled that year yeah. as far as films that I could see at my age. But as somebody who for his birthday was taken to see Skyfall, you know, this, you know, next installment of a genre and a franchise that I had already very, very, very deeply loved. Um, to see that packed theater and to see so many people like freaking out and going crazy over James Bond. It was just like, it was all the innate satisfaction of going to see an R movie for as weird as that might, like it was all like the power and like the fun and definitely like the action and the high octane excitement of going to see an R movie. And just, I, I really don't find that feeling mm -hmm. replicate. I mean, granted, especially since I'm about to turn 20, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, it's not really possible anymore, but just that innate feeling even beside everything else that Skyfall does uh, is just something that's going to stick with me for the rest of my life, man. With that, let's get into Skyfall. Let's let's do this. Let's um, get into Skyfall. I don't know. Like, it's tough just to figure out where to start with this because, I mean, you're the way the movie starts is brilliant. It is a brilliantly directed movie. And, I mean, I think just off the bat, big props to two major players that Sam Mendes, the director oh, and yeah. Roger Deakins, the cinematographer. Roger Deakins. It is in, in, in my opinion, it's the best looking bond movie that we've ever had. Oh yeah. And the direction is just top notch. Like it literally does feel at times like it's so methodical and there is not so, a single scene that goes to waste. Mm -mm, in Skyfall. And it is paced so well, like from that intro, like it literally, you get nothing, you get two production logos and then, fade in and then you just see a figure come out and bum bum the first in, those those high notes of the theme yeah, of the theme in you know? the fucking out of focus hallway and he comes down you see his eyes and you're just like oh there he fucking is that's this is james bond like, movie. like, like this is i'm like literally it is an i'm back motherfucker like and you don't know what you're into because like we don't know where we are. Like, we no. don't know what is happening. I mean, this is a definite common trope, like, with big movies like this. I mean, we've seen it with superhero movies and with spy movies just, like, dropped in the middle of a mission and they're trying to do something. But what's really cool is that this, like, when I was watching it, I was like, this kind of reminds me of, like, how Captain America Civil War starts. You know, how, like, they're just, like, comes on just immediately in it's there. It's the lull right before the mission is about to, right. like, shit is really about to hit the fan. But this intro actually is very important to the rest of the story. This is actually kind of the inciting incident. It establishes the fact that even Bond are chasing the MI6 cover list, which mm. is currently in the field. Um, it very briefly introduces Ronson, who, although his mention in the film isn't very grand, um, he's just probably given about one or two more lines beyond Bond trying to save him. Um, it is a very, very powerful emotional beat when it is reintroduced later. And it basically just like, you know, the one thing you want to do in spy movies is from the word go, you want to start the clock, you want to get things running and you want to like get those stakes as high up as you possibly can. There's right. an MI6 cover list in the field. <laughs> one of our agents is down, like, you know, and M just gives him the order, like just keep moving, just go find that list because there's a lot of people are going to die. There's a lot of things going on in this opening scene. Like just the fact that First, it's like, you know, he's creeping through this hallway. Then it's an on-foot chase. Then it's a car chase. Then it's a motorcycle chase. And then they're on a fucking train. And then they're on a train. My 
single favorite James Bond moment, I think, ever because of how it was done in the trailer. And uh, it's just the epitome of how of his character, like at least an image of him is when the train gets cut in half and he jumps up and he almost falls. And then he like picks himself up and, and like puts like his, suit jacket, his suit jacket, puts his again. cufflinks back on and he just keeps going. Had to catch a train. Just incredible. Yeah. Had to catch a train. Yeah. Uh, and he gets shot. He does. In the fucking first five minutes. Yeah. That opening was one of the, and granted you find out that he's alive about 10 or so minutes later, but that's nowhere even remotely near the point. It is such an emotionally swelling moment to the point where Eve is in position to take the shot and Judy Dench, who we'll talk about later, just brings such like a cold, like rigid, just like expertise to her role as M. It is literally one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever. And every single time I still watch Skyfall, you know, when M just, you know, says like, take the bloody shot. I'm yeah. sitting on my chair and I'm like, don't take the shot. No, don't like, do it. You can't get it. Don't it's do it. Not You're going to hit him. Yeah. And it's, it's so like, there's, it's so well choreographed too when they're on the train and they're fighting like, and then they like, he pushes um, Bond up and he's like blocking the mm-hmm. actual part of the, uh, of the tunnel of the with tunnel. his, with yeah. his forearm and then gets pushed all the way up. And oh man. And, you want her, you want Eve so badly just to be like, oh my God, don't like you, come on, you got to get it and completely misses the other guy. And you're like, they've lost, like, this is, this is the low point of the movie. Like In the first 15 in the minutes. beginning, the inciting incident is the lowest part of this movie. <laughs> Literally the fact that uh, he, they lose this list which may be the worst thing that the MI6 team has ever done, you know. They blow their mission within mm. the first 15 minutes of yeah. the film. And they shoot, like, one of their best agents, and they think he's dead. Like, you have no idea where we're going after that. Like, you can, it, I don't care how many times you watch that fucking trailer, like, you don't know what's going to happen, no because way. the trailer he's in, it's when he's in, the fucking um, psychological training, and he says Skyfall, and he's like, Skyfall, done. Done. And, he gets and then up he gets and up and walks away, and then we see part of the train battle, but we're just like, he gets shot. Like, he is dead. Like, what, what is going to happen now? And then we get, um, like, I mean, one of the best title sequences in movie history with Adele Skyfall playing. My favorite Lord. Bond themes. There are so many iconic ones. It's I, my favorite Bond theme song. I think... It's tied between this and the Casino Royale one, the Chris Cornell one. Okay. The, uh, That's fair. But like, side note, do you know how many the artists that have done Bond songs? It is all over the goddamn place. Paul McCartney, like, Shirley Bassey. So Shirley Bassey does three. She does Moonraker, Thunderball, That's and, right. and Goldfinger, Gold which, Gold which is the famous one. But so Paul McCartney does Live and Let Die, which is like num- like top three. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Live and Let Die is incredible. Um, and then... It gets really weird. Aha does one. Duran Duran. Duran Duran, obviously. One. Madonna That's does one. Right. In order, these are the four um, Pierce Brosnan Bond song singers. Goldeneye is sung by Tina Turner. Okay. Tomorrow Never Dies is sung by Sheryl Crow. That's right. It is. World is Not Enough is garbage. Garbage. Well, yeah. Well, like it's sung by garbage. Yeah. And then Madonna sings Die Another Day. That is like you just I just can read that to anyone and they're just like, oh, yeah, it's from the, you know, the 90s into the early 2000s. Very, it's very literally 90s. like you can't 
you can't read those three and just be like, yeah, it's like two, it's 95 to 2003. It's like, it's just literally the sounds of like Clinton and N64 controllers. The sights and sounds yeah. of the 1990s right yeah. there. And then Craig, Daniel Craig's bonds are Chris Cornell, Jack White, um, and Alicia, Key, Alicia Keys, Adele, and, and Sam, Sam Smith, Smith, who does writings on the wall for Spectre. And out of all of them, I think that Chris Cornell, uh, his song was so different and was a really good setup because, I mean, you will know my name. Like, that's so specific right. to Bond. But, like, Adele Skyfall took it, too, because you have an artist who is at the peak of her power, the absolute apex of her career, um, doing this song that is so, like, painful. and You like, hold your breath through the entire sequence, man. <laughs> you can't look away. Like, when he's in the water and just right when he hits it, it's like this boom. And then he just goes And down. you see him slowly get pulled down. It is an opening that, like the film per no measure whatsoever overstays its welcome, but certainly takes its time. It tells you nothing, but it gives you everything that you need for the jumping off point. You understand that this is a darker James Bond. You understand that everything isn't going to be all, you know, martinis and casinos this time around. It's like some bad shit is going to happen. Some bad shit has already happened. And you just, you know, this is a turning point. Like literally there is one, like... James Bond setting which is in a casino and it's the shortest scene in the movie mm-hmm. like it's so like quick oh, yeah. and nothing about this says like traditional James Bond and which is just so great and the fact that right after the title sequence you like you still don't know what Skyfall is and then you um, it opens up and we're focusing on M and then you realize, oh, it's really like M is just as much as the main character in this movie as Bond is. Absolutely. Which is, I mean, let's just have a conversation. I mean, Judy Dench in this movie is absolutely phenomenal. She's 100%. It, it, it's one of the best James Bond performances we've ever had. She and she is the only one who's gone cross franchises. Cross franchises, yeah. She's done Pierce Brosnan and she does Daniel Craig. And she, who else could be M? Like, who else, like... I remember when I saw Casino Royale and I was like, oh, she's M. That's awesome. Yes. We need the female M. That's fantastic. Yes, of course. And Judy who else could be? My mind is the definitive M. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, she has so many fantastic moments and lined um, like, you know, just complete sheer moments of emotionality. So many great line deliveries. Uh, we might get to this a little later, but, um, you know, her defense of MI6 in uh, British Parliament toward the swing into the third act where she reads the Tennyson and you see that juxtaposition of Bond running and it's just, we are not now that strong. That is one of the most powerful scenes I have ever seen put to film. It is mm-hmm. like so much of this movie and its innate emotionality and impact and so much of like the insane thematic work it does, it, it stands on one performance and that's absolutely Judy Dench. And yeah, she is, you're just instantly on her side. And the fact that she's built up, especially in Casino Royale, is this very fast talking, um, you know, powerhouse that is actually really funny too, but is here she's so broken and... You know, she 
like feels like she can't believe that Bond is dead, you know, she, mm-hmm. when she's writing that obituary. Um, and we, we should talk about, um, we should kind of just like give a quick synopsis of the story. Absolutely. Basically after Bond has been assassinated, the, the, um, it's MI6, right? Yes. Yeah. So MI6 is on, uh, the run to get, uh, this list, which has, um, the, um, the covert names of their secret agents in the field who have, are using aliases. And this list then obviously gives them up. We don't know who until later. Um, and they're also in danger of being shut down by the British Special Operations Division, headed by the Prime Minister and Gareth Mallory. Rafe motherfucking fines. Yeah. God damn. It has been like, it, like he couldn't have picked a better time to come into Bond. 100%. Again, year after Harry Potter ends and just... That's Voldemort. Yeah, he's yeah. Voldemort. That's he right. He is my all-time favorite actor. Like, literally, no one I love. There's no actor I love more than him. He, every single time I see him, he is just fantastic. And even in this, I mean, like, in this, he's this level-headed kind of, you know, just, like, office guy. And you still, like, are you're still into him. You're like, yeah, this guy, like, I just want to see more Ray Fiennes. Like, he's just so suave and, like is really good at line delivery like he always has been as a character in this movie Mallory fascinates me quite a bit because for the longest time until he does eventually assume the role of M uh, towards the very very end of the film he kind of rides this line this duty to country and also this respect for M and the old ways of espionage and really like the golden age of espionage and like that not only builds his rapport with M but really kind of like elevates him to the next level as a character, especially through Ray Fiennes' phenomenal performance. Yeah. And just, it, it really, like, it makes that moment at the end, and trust me, when we get to talking about the end, I promise mm. I will gush about how much I love it, like, uh, the closing moments. Yeah. But it just, it makes that reveal that, like, he's been appointed the new M, just all the more to set it. There is so much insanely satisfying setup and payoff that you don't even realize mm-hmm. is happening because you're so enthralled with like this crazy narrative train that is like is like barreling along in all the best ways and it, it you know it doesn't stop for a minute yeah absolutely i mean the only point that like i think slows down because i mean it's supposed to is when is the you know that moment after we realize bond is not dead yeah. when he's just kind of like okay. yeah. hanging around in the caribbean which is fine like it makes sense um, but he gets the call to action because the um, after the explosion MI6 that almost killed M um, that's the real inciting incident that's yeah. what comes back that makes him come back he's reinstated then he goes through all this psychological like this evaluation which is so fun to watch like it's actually like and it's not even that action heavy because you just you just get to see daniel craig doing some awesome shit like he's doing crunches while he's talking to the one guy and then um uh, tanner tanner yeah. right um and then he does the like the gun the like the shooting test and he misses and he misses and he every keeps, bullet in the clip like, he is so like off of his game like this is not how we've ever seen bond like when has bond missed a shot fucking never like mm-hmm. like what the fuck what's going on here and he, he fails the test we find out later he literally fails the test and M on good faith still sends him into the field mm-hmm. anyway which is like such a good moment like we need him he needs to be there there's no one else who can do this and I have full faith in him I don't care what I go against I don't care if this is breaking every regulation if this is completely illegal he needs to be there he is the one who can do this and it's like nothing but a, like 
the best decision in the movie. And that grounds her because you kind of think of M as, you know, the boss, like the leader. And she is, she's such a good like leader, but is actually more so on his side than anyone else's. And that, excuse me, that she's so loyal and is so like smart and knows that she, she knows what she has to do, even if it is breaking rules and everything. And one of the themes that we can kind of get into is the fact that, you know, after the explosion, they're sent to this underground, you know, this kind of tanker area that they are set up offices in. It's like the new MI6. Yeah. But it's like a lot of this movie is about old fashioned returning to old ways by also conforming to new ones. Mm -hmm. Um, which is, you know, interesting because we have this idea of bond and this whole movie is more so about like, you know, the old fashioned way, but it's a new bond movie. We haven't seen a bond movie like this in a, you know, 2012. Um, and we see that with, you know, obviously Silva with the introduction of his character and um, with the knife and with, like all of this stuff, like they're getting kind of this idea that MI6 is kind of going downhill, you know, it's they're like kind of old. we got to get out with them. You know, we, we need something new, this new era of protection that isn't the MI6. They're maybe getting sloppy. And that's this. They work so well together and Absolutely. also in the introduction of Q played by Ben Winshaw Ben Winshaw, who, who is fantastic uh, has so many great moments I will say like you know the performances we both agree are across the board phenomenal but a large part of also what helps those performances is the fact that the dialogue in this movie is so off the charts who the fuck writes this it's it's, it's, it's insane insane it's ridiculous like because it is so the timing is like beat for beat they like metered it out. It's meticulous. Mm-hmm, yeah. And like each time, like they can use the same amount of pacing. Like there's no fast dialogue in here, which you know, like I'm just all about, but like, it's still so funny, especially when him and M are, or him and Q are talking and he's like, you know, what you don't like, why don't you trust me? Because you still have there's spots. spots. <laughs> and and it, it's really like, it's just, it's, it's it's powerful thematic stuff disguised as really brilliant, well-written dialogue because they have that little exchange where he says, you know, um, age is no guarantee of efficiency and youth is no guarantee of innovation. And then they're like, yeah, we're good. Yeah. (laughs) We're good. We're Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Um, Uh, And gets the iconic gun. Oh yeah. But like has this kind of, that was one thing I was like, they fucking got rid of that. Like after like, you know, after that scene and the, the Komodo dragon, mm-hmm. which is a really, again, a really funny moment when they're fighting in that pit and the dude uh, just pretty much gets dragged yeah, away by a Komodo but like, dragon. Even before that, when he fights the guy with the suitcase, he's like, oh, wait. And then he turns around, he's like, one, two, three. He's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I got you. It hits him with the fucking suitcase. And then when he falls down, he, he realizes fire the gun. Well, he realizes there's the Komodo dragon. And he's just got this look on his face. Like, that's a fuck. What the fuck? Like, that's a, that's a, like, Oh my God. Like he has that, this Daniel Craig has this really great dopey look on his face. That's so funny, but like so real. Cause it's literally like, is like, we're seeing that, right? Like that that's hundred percent a Komodo dragon, sir. <laughs> So, um, if I may, just because I've been itching to talk about, uh, a bit about this and since a, we're kind of there in the story and B we're talking about performances. We got to talk about Javier. Bardem. We, we can't, 
we can't sidestep it anymore. This is the best Bond villain performance I think 100, we have ever. Hundred thousand percent. I mean, the close second is um, is Mad Mad Mickelson yeah. in Casino Royale, and I and I don't want to put down that performance by any means. That performance is absolutely brilliant. Like he is unreal in Casino Royale. Silva, Javier Bardem, and I had seen No Country just before I watched this. Uh, because I was like so excited and I was like, I knew I had to watch it. And right. he is beyond horrifying he in no country. Like such a ghouling, like psychopathy mm-hmm. to the role of Silva. And he's like, he's very much that charismatic agent that he once was kind of like a shadow of what bond is now. And he's also just a lunatic. After I, I watched no country, I was like, I totally understand why this guy's a bond villain. But like, I would argue that Silva and, um, uh, Anton Sugar are fairly different from each other. Yes, they're the bad guy, but like Sugar is a sociopath. He has no emotion. It, Silva is all emotion, only acts on emotion, and has deep personal connections and reasons for what he's doing. You really do start to sympathize with Silva, especially a when there's the whole bit. nerve like, gas I thing where I hate he takes to... the World War II teeth out. And, yeah. and basically, M is just like, it was either, you know, like we lose him or we lose the agents that I could have pulled out of the field. And I'd choose those agents every single time. It's basically, <laughs> it harkens back to one of my favorite lines in this movie in the beginning um, where M comes, or James comes back and kind of like demand... Well, I mean, not demands an apology from M, but like asks her, like, what the hell? You should have trusted me to finish the mission. And she says, you know the rules of the game. We've both been playing it for long enough. Mm-hmm. And while that is something that she feels Silva should understand as a former agent, like, you just see that this guy has been through seven layers of hell, man. He really has been, yeah. And he's, like, it's all hidden behind this very... He's so inviting and manipulative. Like, the thing about Shigur is he's horrifying. The thing with Silva is that he's manipulative and, like, open. The fact that he's very comfortable with talking to people. He's very good at talking to people. And, like, that's one of the things. Like, I mean, you can, people criticize this part of the movie, but, like, you know, after we find out about where Silva is hiding on this island because of the girl that Bond meets at the Severine, yeah. Um yeah, at the at the at the casino. We find out that he with this amazing character introduction of just him coming down the elevator and it's this wide shot slowly zooming in. And he's telling the story about the rats. Telling the story about the rats and like how they are somehow similar to one another. And all they taste is rat. He have the last two rats. They fought through literally everything. Um, and their own brothers to get down these last two rats for purely survival. But after they get out, survival, they're forever changed. Um, and they turned into the, these kind of monsters that they you know, didn't really, weren't destined to be. Um, and that's the kind of mentality that Silva and uh, Craig, this kind of internal battle that they have throughout this movie. And I mean, like I said, people can criticize you know, this part all they want, the fact that when he gets down and like sits down and across from bond and starts like touching his legs and unbuttoning him. It's that part of him. That's like, yes, he's, it's uncomfortable, but he's also, it's the fact that he is, he is very comfortable and open and inviting. Um, that makes it worse. Like that makes it 
so much more unnerving that Absolutely. he's a villain. But the personality and like how personable he is differ is how he differs from because he's not like not really larger than life. Like he no. not, not really like he really isn't that like kind of makes him more human and has like straight desires. Like, I mean, the, you want to say like the first, you know, kind of gay bond villain, probably they don't yeah. explicitly say it, but like, it's um, definitely alluded to. It's alluded to. And just how he brings, like he makes you listen to every word that he says. That is the power. Of it's a, it's a commanding performance and it's great, especially in any spy movie as somebody who's tried to like, uh, you know, theorize and come up with ideas for his own. In every, any spy movie, it's great to have a villain with just like these very like fleshed out and relatable motivations. It's great to have a villain with really relatable and fleshed out motivations. But what makes Silva such a perfect villain for this movie, in addition to everything else, is the fact that he is ultimately what represents what happens when <coughs> espionage fails. Yeah. He is a failed product of MI6 that Mallory, to an extent, and the British government and the prime minister are fighting so hard to eradicate. He is this manifestation of what happens when the system doesn't work. And I think in being able to finally defeat him and prove that MI6, you know, prove that not only James and M, but MI6 as a whole can be better than what Silva was. It just like, it brings that thematic loop together so perfectly. And that whole scene, like out in the, the courtyard, the fact that he created mass panic purely from a laptop that wasn't real just to prove that he could, you know, it's like, right. It's kind of like what, like, uh, what they did with the, with Timothy Oliphant in uh, live free or die hard, but they made him yeah. like 10 times more scary and real than he could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, playing with your expectations, you think that, um, what's the girl's name that he meets in the Severine Severine. He's, you kind of like have this mentality that, okay, she's the bond girl. Like she's, she's going to be the one that like, you know, like, I don't want to say like damsel in distress, but like that kind of idea of the bond girl that, that he's going to try and like, right. rescue. But like, and then they do the shooting contest and she dies. Like she just, he just, kills he just shoots her. And again, it's like, I love that there's a moment. He like just does it without a, like thinking. Cause like bond is like so careful. Cause like it's a shot test like the earlier. And he's like, I can't, I don't want to miss. He's he, shaking. He's he nervous. Is so scared. He, and he, and he misses. I, I want to say purposefully, but like maybe, maybe not. And then Silva's just like my turn. And then just bam. And then we're all just like, Whoa. Like, and then immediately after that, he just looks at James yeah. with a big smile on his like, face. What do you, goes, what do you say to that? I won. Yeah. yeah. It's a waste of good scotch. And then kills all of them and uses the There's little. There's that dialogue coming back. Latest achievement from Q Branch. It's called a radio. It's called a radio. <laughs> I love that. It's um, so good. And they get him. They you, do. You think that like, oh my fuck, they got him. Like, did you like the really? And then obviously, you know, he gets out, which is. And another, you know, single favorite. We find out like his motivation and like how the whole thing with, um, you know, save the other agents. And then he had the cyanide capsule and his, uh, shout out to Brian power, who has always, who has said repeatedly, you know, do you know what it does to you? <laughs> Hydrogen cyanide. <laughs> it is a little funny, but no, it is absolutely. like when he, when he takes that thing out, I'm just, you're just like, wow, like, good Lord. Like, could you imagine, you know, like it melts three quarters of his face, man. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely intense. Yeah. And you know, um, they get Silva back to MI6 and there's this moment where it's like 
again, Silva kind of represents how we're supposed to feel about this lapse in judgment as far as M and MI6. And before we have too much time to really doubt M and MI6 and her motivations and stuff like that, she goes off to the hearing and then we get into one of our favorite scenes. We were just talking about this last week and he how hacked us. he hacked us. Yeah, literally that whole stretch of just like when they go away and they realize that there's this key in this, um, in, in the in code, the cryptic message. in the cryptic message. And then it's a, tra- and it's a train, uh, map of London. And then the doors start to open and there's this moment where the camera slowly zooms in on Craig and he has literally, he's looking down and he's like, this transformative oh, moment. Of it's literally incredible acting because there's so much in him that the fact that he's like at first confused and then he's like, wait, what? And then he's like, no. And then he just fucking books it completely out of takes the room. Off. It is, I get chills every time I think about it. Like I have chills right now. Like the, it is an incredible moment and then just goes. And then from here on, the movie don't stop. No, it, it, this train ain't stopping. And no, it, it breaks. The train's not stopping and it breaks through um, the wall. And yeah, that's right. That's such a, and it's so, actually the execution of how Silva gets out and where he's going is so well done. He breaks out of prison um, or breaks out of captivity and then is running down in dressed as a fucking um, a London police officer, a London police officer bond is chasing him and then gets the train to literally knock right through him. And which is such a good moment. He like blows the side of the hole and he's like, guess I hope that wasn't for me. <laughs> no, but that is, and then it's just rumbling and then the train just fucking falls right through the hole. And then Silva gets escapes and then goes to Emma at the hearing. Emma's getting grilled at this hearing. And then, you know, she's the only reason she's allowed to speak is because Mallory, Mallory is like, like yeah. Hey, can we hear from the witness? Please? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, like is so good at like presenting herself as like, we have like, we've worked before and we will work again, you know, and then gives the famous poem. What do you think of that? It's a great juxtaposition with the poem Mm -hmm. and bond running. What do you think of the kind of subtext in that, especially in the flipping back and forth between those. Right. It's kind of like an, a moment of resilience. We've had a conversation before about how, uh, it, so for those who aren't aware, it is an excerpt from <laughs> The Ulysses by Tennyson, uh, which, as we both know, is my favorite poem of all time. It's a good one. And has tons of pop culture impl- uh, you know, implications in a tons of my favorite media. Um, when I first saw this scene, I will admit I had no idea what was happening excuse me, in terms of the poem. I didn't know what the words of the poem meant, but to recognize the innate emotionality of the moment, because ultimately you look at that last excerpt, the Ulysses is a poem about strength and endurance, Mm -hmm. even in the face of the most tumultuous hardship. And sometimes Tennyson recognizes it points throughout his poem before this very profound and powerful conclusion that endurance, no matter how hard we have that rocky, never say die underdog attitude will fail us. And sometimes when you have, you know, when you lack the strength to go forward and, you know, you try to push through, you do end up with results like Silva. You do end up with failures that come back to haunt you And I really think that the lulls in the excerpt from the poem, uh, when it focuses on Silva, and then just the powerful, like, 
uh, that which we are, we are one equal temper of heroic hearts. And it just, fo- it's just that really long tracker of James just completely Booking it. hauling ass yeah. down the street. It is one of the most powerful moments I personally have ever seen in film. And it's a good kind of, um, and you kind of think like the way that they film that you kind of think you're towards the end of the movie and there's a whole other third. No, yeah, there's to we, go. We got a whole other third to go. But the thing is, is like what's great about that is that there's so much meaning in this fucking movie and it's because of like it's because of stuff like that and that they you see MI6 for this entire movie they fuck up like they have they fucked make themselves so hard that their office was blown up so many of their agents have died they have given themselves the they let this list go and just this oh it's and even then even through that they will not give up and having it be like two three juxtapositions you have the hearing you got silva and you got bond so the hearing is her trying to like explain herself and then you have bond coming or you have um silva coming for them their mistake even though we have fought so hard we've created this and then you have bond and even though we've created it we're gonna stop it and yet bond, we bond need to right. endure because the world needs us to exactly and we will and Ex- yeah that is essentially it's almost like breaking bad ozymandias level poetic allegory yeah. it is exactly the core essence of what the poem is trying to accomplish and it is just another reason that I will argue to the death that Skyfall is a perfect movie. It is a brilliant film. And I mean, we still have like, you know, that there's that whole shootout in the courtroom, which right. is great. Yeah, and no, I'm, I'm, you actually have, um, I'm getting too ahead of myself. No, no, it was good. Um, and you have, I mean, I, I kind of just want to have this discussion now. And if that's of Eve Moneypenny played by Naomi Harris, who is fantastic, really, really great actress. She's kind of the only thing that like takes it down a few pegs for me. Not at all because of anything that she does. Mm-hmm. Um, her performance is great, great charisma. The thing is, is that like she's not in the movie as much as you'd think she would be. Sure, you know what I mean. There's only a few. There's this scene in the opening, and then there's the scene where they meet up, and then there's that scene where they shave, and she helps a little bit in the Senate hearing, and then she's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then until the end with the reveal, obviously. But they set it up to be like she's going to be the Bond girl, like mm-hmm. she's the Bond girl. And obviously later we find out that she's Eve Moneypenny and she is a Bond girl. She's the famous Bond girl, which makes sense. But there's a lot of the the sexual tension between them. It almost seems like they're just putting them together just for the sexual tension purposes. Mm-hmm. Like that relationship doesn't. The only thing that, like in my opinion, like just thinking about it, that it adds is like her introduction, obviously to this um, to the Daniel Craig. Um, bond um, but to get her is like shows she's trying to be this active agent but then she just switches to wanting to be like just this kind of desk jockey kind of thing Mallory's assistant Mallory's assistant yeah um, and it, it almost seems like the kind of like the one thing about the movie, movie that doesn't really um, doesn't feel as super complete sure, per se I can understand like it, it feels it, it's it's a little murky because like mm-hmm. it, when she's kicking ass, like it's great, like it's good. It's like she she saves the um, prime minister's life, literally, because of like having her duck down, and is more than capable, and like has to live with this kind of um, 
like if they were more pre- present in the movie, I would have like it would have been kind of cool to think about how she would have like was grieving over the fact that she thought she killed someone. But like you know, it's not really the place in the movie. It's more so on M's shoulders. That's the real relationship. Right. I'm not saying we need another Bond girl relationship. I just would, I guess they were more setting her up for something like Spectre, which is she's obviously more prevalent in. Yeah, has a much um, bigger role in Spectre. But it, it just feels a little like her like character in the movie just feels like a little choppy. You know what I mean? Like in yeah, terms of presence, I can definitely understand. Um, so that's really my only gripe with the movie. She's still really good. Just like how the character, like where the character is in the movie just doesn't, it isn't consistent like throughout the movie, like presence and really what is added to the movie for me personally. Um, but after that Senate scene, you know, Gareth gets shot in the arm and they have to you know get M out and they get the iconic bond car. Uh, the Aston and Martin. Aston Martin, baby. Which, again, is another moment where it's so contained. Like, we know what that car Just is. another phenomenal use of intertextuality, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, and But they can do it. They're not... And then he, like, flips the thing up with the button. It's like, oh, eject me if you want. Fine, you know? <laughs> um, and then we get... They go to Skyfall. We finally understand what it is. It is Bond's childhood home. I can't like really think of a better moment in movie history where I was just I, like thinking, God, what a great choice. Brilliant choice. It's the perfect stopping like, grounds for such a personal story. Like, like what? This. Like, I don't know how you arrive at something like that. Like to think that like you have, we've seen Bond go everywhere, but we haven't seen him, you know, go home. And literally bringing him back to where he was raised in this troubled past and that he was an orphan. Like, you know, M says orphans always make the best agents, you know? Um, and he hasn't been back there in so long. Uh, and it's like that click moment, you know, like what is Skyfall? We don't know what this is. Like what is Skyfall? And finally it's just like, bam, oh my God. And then when it hits you, it it's like, oh my God. And, he hasn't been there in so long and like they sold the flat and then we meet uh, Albert Finney and it was just great Kincaid, yeah. by Kincaid who's the gate uh, the gamekeeper who's mm-hmm. only in the movie for you know 20 minutes but damn is he good. He's, he's, he does his thing and he does it right man. He just like he's the perfect compliment to James and again it kind of speaks to the whole old versus new thing uh, just on a more personal level with not as much to do with MI6 but at this point in the story it's just more about the characters and the relationship specifically between Bond and M than it is about MI6 but yeah for sure um you know because like we kind of figure out their relationship of how they came to be you know she says uh like there's still some tension between them Mm -hmm. in some ways, you know, like it's not all like, it's not all roses, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of, there's still a lot of distance between them, but they know they need each other and they get to Skyfall and they realize that like, you know, there's that great line. It's like some people are coming to kill us. We're going to kill them first. And, um, they start, you know, and I hate to make this comparison because it's just so overused, but it's like, and after, you know, we just saw Rambo Last Blood, you know, last week it was like... Homemade traps. Yep, homemade traps. It's home alone with uh, Bond, but really it isn't. Like, I, I hate to say that. It Like, they just use their resources more. It just happens to be in a house, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but the fact that, like, 
you know, he goes back home and like has to use old resources, his dad's old hunting rifle. He has to, they have to make their own weaponry and protect themselves literally through nothing. Like it is, this, this house is gorgeous, but it is broken down and just decrepit in this open, like desolate area of Scotland. Yeah. Nowhere. And they're just like completely isolated. There's nowhere for them to go. And it is, only like I mean obviously great for story but like also just great to look at amazing scenery and again the deeks with uh, the cinematography it just looks so good especially that shot when they're going to practice shooting and like you know uh, Bond is on the left and of uh, Kincaid's on the right and just the fog and like this whole rolling fields is just god damn it's so beautiful and like He's like, you know, Kincaid, you should leave. You know, it's not safe here. And he's like, try and stop me. You, <laughs> you hopped up little shit. <laughs> and he's like, what did you say your line of work was again? You know? <laughs> um, and uh, obviously Silva finds out where they were. I, did they ever explain how they found out where he was? Uh, because as they were leaving MI6, uh, there was another great exchange between Q and Bond because Bond had asked Q to leave like this digital breadcrumb trail oh, for Silva to right, follow. Right, 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 and right. then um, Mallory found them doing it and he goes, like, I guess this isn't official. And Bond goes, not even remotely. And he goes, well, so much for my promising career in espionage. So Silva eventually, because he's the only one smart enough to follow the trail. Right, 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 the trail right. Sky fall and right. I forgot about that moment where Mallory's like, good, do it. Yeah. 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 Um, As you were. Yeah. And... God, this ending is, it's the, it's my favorite part of every single time I saw it. Like I saw it, like I said, I saw it three times it, every scene in this movie is used so well, but it is building to this movie, especially it's a better second watch. Like this movie gets better the more you watch it because you're like, you're just, you want that ending and it, you realize how much it builds because you think you get the big scene with the opening and then you think you get another big scene with the, with the train. And then it's like, what the fuck? Like, where are we going to go now? But it's, this ending is everything that you could ever possibly want. Like, to the point where it's not even like, it's almost not even awesome to watch it. It's almost kind of, I don't want to say brutal, but it's like, it feels different you know it's like we've gotten all the fireworks out of the way now it's time to focus in and really just talk about it and, 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 and you know i mean really through this brutality and through the more emotional core in the ending you're essentially having a conversation with the movie is like what do these characters mean to one another and how far will they go to finish the mission or to get revenge or you know, to just push themselves like that last bit over the finish toward yeah. the end. And there's just so many great moments. I mean, when they, when M fills up the light sockets with, you know, nails and shotgun shells. And then when, you know, Kincaid shoots the guys and he's just like, welcome to Scotland. You know, it's, it's, and then they're, uh, when Kincaid drops the shell and Bond comes in and kills him anyway, he's like, you dropped something, you know? <laughs> Um, and M gets shot like in the back, but she's like able to, you know, keep like standard ground mm-hmm. and raises the stakes just a little bit. And obviously that does come back later, but yeah. you know, and there's even like a great moment. Like this is kind of the first movie where we kind of understand a little bit more about Bond's Rocky past kind of thing, especially what follows in Spectre. Um, but that moment when we see the old 
tunnel that was used in, you know, like the 1800s or whatever. And he's like, he came out, you know, he, after his parents died, he went in for two days. He came out, he wasn't a boy anymore. It's like, oh, it's a brilliant way of giving information. Like, I mean, you're literally just telling us, but like the fact that we can see that, that makes complete sense. Um, And this house just goes complete to shit and it just gets blown right up right before Bond says, I always hated this place. I always hated like, this place. Uh, Blows the whole place sky high, which is kind of, again, and you know, it's just, it's a great action. It's a phenomenal action sequence. See, I mean, he's got a fucking helicopter for crying out loud. And yeah. There's dynamite and, you and know, they guns destroy and destroy the old Aston Martin, which is kind of the, you know, they're out with the old and with the new kind of Which thing. also, that's a great, uh, you know, um, audio cue with the theme song because when they eventually blow the Aston Martin up, Bond looks up and it's kind of those opening notes of the theme again and he's just, he's pissed, he's ready to go and he blows the place sky high, which again, you know, in addition to being very, very exciting um, and just in terms of an action scene is also like, it's a representation of his severance to, you know, to his ties, to his demons, to his old life. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, they're all trying to move on from that deep emotional place. I mean, really this is kind of like moving on from trauma in some way, you know, this whole, oh, yeah. this whole movie and living with the sins of the past kind of thing. And after there's that great escape sequence when they're getting to the chapel and it's all orange and they're running, uh, on the ice after he comes back up, that's like the rebirth of bond. But you know, there's all those things about the old fashioned way. Finally, Silva gets to, M, you know, and, and is almost about to kill, like he's going to kill himself and then, and kill M. And it's like, Oh my God, he's going to, he's going to win tension. It is like, knife cutting tension. Literally. And it's like his performance is so raw and it's like, my God, he is insane. Like he has gone so far and will not stop. And then finally gets the knife in the back and delivers that incredible line where he's just like last rat standing. And Silva, goes down it is one of my favorite like clear moments of just like we fucking won like yes we did it but it was so well said because again the metaphor like there's more into that a metaphor that like you know we will come on top and we will fight through it and again the old-fashioned way but M dies like she M does. does die in Bond's arms which is so emotional and just like I didn't expect it like you it's just so it just takes you and you're just like oh my god like you I don't know what he's gonna do now and like with the exception of Casino Royale and you know I mean like obviously Vespa was a huge character in Casino Royale but it's very rare that we see something along the lines of a major character death yeah especially to end the film in a James Bond movie because it's like where do you go how do you you know still hold the gentleman spy thrill of adventure style from here which Mm -hmm. that's not just what Skyfall is Skyfall is so much more than that I feel like he loses more here um, because I mean he loses his love of Vespa to betrayal but here he loses like his mentor and his really only friend per se um, because of the thing that he was fighting against, you know? And even in that sense, we, I guess, you know, kind of to take back what I just said, 
that, that I guess in that sense he kind of lost. And then in the next scene, you know, he's obviously very broken because of the when he's like standing on the rooftop and thinking about all of this and uh, he's like, you know, that's a big change for Bond. We hadn't really seen characters be offed like that, um, that we knew that right. we really came to love and understood. Um, especially someone like Judy Dench as M it's very unnatural, you know, uh, and the role reversal, you know, we start off with Bond getting shot and M having to deal with that. And now we have M dying and Bond is having and to go through kind of the same thing. And now that's the end of the movie. He's got to just continue on like yeah, that. Yeah, literally. No... And like you can like make it, I guess you can make somewhat of an argument that the ending is a bit abrupt. Maybe, but like also maybe not because I mean Mallory is reinstated and everything's fine with MI6. And Mallory is now M. He's the new M. And that's where it ends where he says like, you know, there's much to do. And great ending. Like I, I think it's awesome. The gun barrel in Skyfall is just one of the most satisfying because of everything that comes before. I tell, I tell people all the time, the gun barrel in Skyfall just hits different because yeah. it's just, I mean, I, I, I could gush about this movie for days on end. Oh yeah, me too. Um, I love this movie. If I haven't made that obnoxiously clear already. All right. Before, um, <laughs> my voice has been cracking this entire fucking episode. Honest. I'm but, right there with you, man. Before we go, we, um, um, obviously we've gushed about this movie to no avail. There's a lot of really great themes. It's brilliantly written, amazing acting, did something for Bond that, you know, you really didn't expect. Um, what is it, what is it about this movie? Do you think that adds to your bigger picture love of film? Like why can you come back to this movie and be like, this actually is a reason why that I love movies and why maybe I love spy movies or just, I love Bond. Like, what is that for you? Right. Like, just aside from being the grand standard for what I still to this day consider to be my favorite genre of film, it is ultimately a shining example that there are no limitations in the world of storytelling as long as you have such a poignant thematic and narrative control over your ideas. Skyfall is everything that Bond has been, everything that Bond can be, and in doing both of those things, it is everything that storytelling should be. It is funny. It is action-packed. It is emotionally gripping from beginning to end. And it is just <sighs> one of the most visceral theater experiences. You know, whenever you hear somebody talk about a movie that they love, that they saw in theaters, oh, I remember the date. I remember the place. I remember what corner of my ticket stub they tore. Like, just Skyfall is a theater experience that I will never forget in my life mm -hmm. because not because of the theater or any external conditions that might have permeated the experience, just because of what Skyfall is. Mm -hmm. Skyfall is one of my favorite films, and I truthfully feel that not only is it, I, I feel personally, not only is it one of the best films of the decade, of the 2010s, it is one of the best films of the 21st century because it is just so much more than anybody ever expected it to be it is just it, it, it is the grand standard in so many respects and i just i that is why i feel again that skyfall is a perfect movie it's definitely my favorite bond movie and um my my reason is very similar to yours um i said on the birdman podcast that my f favorite movies of the 2000 
tens were um, Birdman, Whiplash, Mad Max, Lady Bird, and Inception. Inception, yeah. I would. I have changed Inception to be uh, the Social Network, um, but very after, worthy inclusion. But I have um, Mad Max has been offed because of Skyfall, because of, Skyfall. Because of how recent. Because of this most recent viewing and just how it's just solidified in my mind of just how incredible this movie is. It is definitely, I would say, it actually might be in um, like top 30 favorites. It's an incre- it's so, is everything they do is done right. It's a movie that is so perfectly placed in my memory. Like I, that's what I want from movies like this. For, from certain, for any movie really is the this is one thing that like speaks to the experience of going to the movies and having that period when you're in the darkness with a bunch of strangers, seeing this movie come out at just the right time. And you have the mindset that you do and the experiences that you do from all the years before that you've been alive frames your mindset of how to view this movie. And you just remember everything about it and just how fucking fun it is oh yeah like this was one of the like last times i remember going to the movie and constantly having like this much fun and having it be this big like okay it definitely wasn't one of the last times but it's one of the best times it's definitely one of the best theater experiences because and i said it before it was it came out at just the right time everything was working so well with this movie and it was another thing where it was like it was a surprise. Like I didn't expect Skyfall to be this good. Um, I mean, I definitely was excited for it. Absolutely. It's a Bond movie. Like I was down, but it was the next movie where I was like, have you seen Skyfall? We need to talk about Skyfall. Um, it was just like the theater experience that I've, that I always want is it's a, it's a different type of experience. You know, it's, it's not like I'm, I go in expecting a certain thing from an espionage movie to have a certain experience. Like I talk about with like horror movies, like there's right. a certain experience right. that I want just with a movie in general of like going in subverting expectations and having such a moment of like, this is where we are in movies and I am just here for it. And this is all so new to me and I didn't expect to see something like this. And that may be very vague, but Right around this time in 2012, that's all I was seeing. Like with Avengers, with Dark Knight Rises, they were moments of movies where I was like, I didn't expect to get this experience. I, no matter how hard I thought about where I thought the movie was going to go, it wasn't going to end up this way. I wasn't going to be living this moment the way that I have with this movie, with Skyfall. Um, And like, I don't remember my movie going experience with Spectre. I don't, it's not a, it was like, and I think Spectre is a good movie. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't a movie that stuck out in my mind that much. You know I mean? Right. But with this, it was a moment in time. Like I remember where I was. I remember the mindset I had at that time. I remember where I was in life. I remember just everything because of when and what I was doing when Skyfall came out. And I make it seem like this was such a big life moment, but really it it's very important to me. Like this point in my life was so special and I've, it's attributed to the movies that I saw 
and Skyfall was one that I just will never, ever forget. Absolutely agree. Totally agree. Thank you, Killian. Josh, thank you so much for having me back on, man. All right, that does it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies. Um, huge thank you to Killian Gummo for coming on talking about Skyfall. Thank you to uh, listeners again for bearing with me through this episode. My voice will be back by the next episode, I promise. This podcast was produced by Sullivan J. Harris, who also did the cover art that you see on every single episode of film for season two. If you like this, please go check out our social media at Frankly I Love Movies on Facebook, at Frankly underscore podcast on Twitter. And if you'd like more updates on what's going on in my life, you can follow me at joshvaljosh21 on Instagram. And until then, tune in in two weeks for another episode of film. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Movies.